0: good morning, my friends. This is kind of a a special day for me as I'm about to preach my final sermon for a month. Uh, I I get to go on my uh, four-week July study break, which is a very generous offering of our church that I'm grateful for. Pray for me. I'm I'm really excited about having a time of growth in my life. I want to love him more, you know, as a result of some time away. I I want to study. It's called the study break. And so I will be studying, really trying to discern where God's leading us as a church and as far as study for the next 12 months. How can we better become a church that's alive, that's transforming our community, that's bringing the hope of the gospel to our our community? And so I'll be doing that. And then I might have a little fun. Are you okay with that? Uh, My family's doing a little bit of a vacation. We're piling into our minivan and going to do a road trip out west, ending in Yellowstone National Park. And so that will be a lot of fun also. Here we have an incredible lineup of guest preachers. I am just so delighted with the group God has helped us pull together. They are all four of them friends of mine. And they have all had a tremendous impact in my life. Some of them a profound impact in my life. They are phenomenal preachers. Well, let me tell you who they are. Maybe you'll recognize some of these names. Next week, we have Colin Smith, who's the pastor of The Orchard, the church I grew up at, where I met my wife. And he's been a mentor in my life for so long. Paul Borden, a longtime friend of the Compass Church. Steve DeWitt. A pastor who I just met uh, a year ago, but in that one year, oh my, has he changed my life. Michael Rydelnick, a regular and a favorite among our guests. All four of these guys are not only phenomenal preachers, they're all published authors. Three of them have a regular program on Moody Radio. We are just taking the preaching up a notch, if you know what I mean, for the month of July. And so be filled with anticipation. And prayerfully looking forward to God doing a great work among us. Don't, don't view July as like, yeah, let's just coast. No coasting this July, my friends. We are pray- praying that God would grow us and fuel the fire of growing devotion and obsession with our Lord this summer. All right. Shifting to our message. This last Monday, I had a very fun opportunity. My oldest child, Jorah, and I went to the Cubs game. It was a great game. It was a nail-biter. The Cubs squeaked out a victory. It was a lot of fun. But one of the things that made me a little anxious was checking the forecast all day, the day of the game. One of the downsides about baseball is that when storms come, baseball players stop playing. Just how it is. And there were thunderstorms in the forecast. And so I'm like, no, no. And I'm checking, you know, every couple hours. Thankfully, the game went through uninterrupted. But baseball players, again, when the storms come, they put down their equipment and they say, I'm done. In contrast that to football players. Football players play through anything if it. It's a thunderstorm, if it's raining, snowing, it doesn't matter. They play through it. Which makes me wonder, is your Christian life more like baseball or football? Next slide. You know, a lot of Christians are like baseball. They say, oh, I want to live for Jesus and be devoted to him, but when the storms come, I may need to sit down. Now, don't mock them, and maybe I need to be careful I'm not mocking in my tone, Because our compassion is drawn out when we hear the story. People will say, this season is so hard. The pain is so immense that I must muster all of my focus and energy on merely surviving. I need to focus on me in this season so I can get through this. If and when things get better, then I'll say, Lord, I want to give my life to you. But for right now, I have to be focused on me. Sounds right, but it's not right. It's not biblical. The biblical plan is that we would be faithful soldiers of Jesus Christ in good times and bad, that we would play in the storm. What about the Apostle Paul, which was he? You know, in this series called Anchored, we've been looking at Paul's journey. I mean, he's in the storm. He's arrested for being a Christian. He's thrown into a boat as a prisoner in transport, going his way to Rome. On their way, hurricane-force literal storms beat up his boat for two weeks. Then they're shipwrecked. The boat falls apart, and he finds himself as a castaway on this little island called Malta. If anybody has an excuse to just say, I'm done. I need to break. It's Paul. But Paul plays the game in the storm and out. And we're about to see that on full display. Does that sound harsh to you? That God wants us passionately living for him, even if we're limping? Does that sound insensitive? It's actually loving when properly understood. It may seem that I just, I'm just i going to be very focused on myself for a season. It may seem like that's a good thing. It's not a good thing. Self-centeredness rots the heart. And one of the things we find is that when we're going through a season of hardship, choosing to lift our eyes beyond ourselves and making ourselves available to God and as an agent of love to others, that decision to give actually brings a joy to our lives and can make the suffering a little less awful. And so God's love is in the whole plan of playing in storms as well as sunshine. And that's what the Apostle Paul's going to model for us. And so join me. Maybe you want to read along in the Bible in the seat back. You'll find the passage on page 1,124. We left off in Acts 28, 6, and we start in verse 7. Again, they're shipwrecked on the island of Malta. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island, probably the governor. He welcomed us to his home, and he showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed. Suffering from fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. Okay. I want you to imagine this moment. Paul he's just amazing. Paul is always looking for opportunities to get in the game, to make a difference. In fact, in the book of Colossians chapter 4, Paul says, make the most of every opportunity. And Paul does that. Here, I'm going to point in our passage, not this one, but as we continue, we'll see three opportunities that Paul makes the most of. And this is the first. I call it the opportunity of adversity. Let's put that down here. Adversity. The the old man is sick, really sick. He's got probably Malta fever. <laughs> Remember the island's called Malta. There's a fever that's still known today as Malta fever. It's a uh, it's a bacterial infection that just is tenacious. It just won't end. In fact, it kills many old people. So it's really really bad. And the Apostle Paul hears about this old guy who was really sick. And he says, that's an opportunity. The old man is suffering with adversity. I'm going to reach out to him. Imagine the conversation. Paul's having dinner at the governor's house. The governor mentions, my father wishes he could join us for dinner tonight, but he's very ill. He's in another room and he's been in bed for a long time. Paul interrupts and says, any way I could meet your dad, I would really love to spend some time with him, see if I can be of encouragement. The governor says, well, I tell you, he's sick. I don't know if he's up for visitors, but I'll ask. The governor comes back and says, my dad would love to see you, and brings Paul to the room. Paul goes in and says, hey, I'm Paul. Uh, technically, I'm a prisoner. I'm kind of shipwrecked on your islands. It's been a rough go of it for me. And he says, I hear you've had a rough season as well. Tell me about yourself. And Paul listens to this guy describe his suffering, and Paul loves on him. And then Paul says, hey, uh, I'm a man of faith. I believe that there's a God who made the world and that he hears us when we pray. Would you be open to me offering a prayer for you? And the old man was like, uh, not used to this kind of thing, but uh, sure. And so Paul gently puts his hand on his shoulders and cries out to God for God's help, for God's love for God's healing power to come into this man. And wouldn't you know, in an instant, the fever goes away and this man is healed. And then the word gets out on the island and everybody that's got Malta fever has come. Pray for me, Paul, pray for me. And God blesses with a unique season of widespread healing to everybody who comes forward. Question I have for you. Had you been at that dinner table had you heard about the old man who was sick in the other room, would you have asked, Hey, could I meet with them? I'd love to pray with them. Would you have taken advantage of the opportunity of adversity? Paul knew something. Paul knew that when people are hurting, there is a great opportunity to impact their lives. You ever notice most people, not all, but most people become Christians through adversity. They'll tell you their story. Yeah, I was going along, everything was great, and then, boom, hit a hard time and cried out to Jesus, and I've never been the same. And being that that's the case, Paul was always on the lookout for hurting people so that he could step in with the love, the compassion, the power through prayer of God in their lives. And so I wonder if you do that. Folks, as you're looking for opportunity to get in the game, if you see hurting people... Sick people? Visit them. Go to them. Pray for them. Love on them. Be with them. You can't help everybody. I'll I'll acknowledge that. But you can't help some people. I'll share a story that just moved me deeply on Friday. We have our small group. My wife and I are in a couple small group that meets on every other Friday. I'm also in a men's small group that meets in the morning on Wednesday. Well, this was Friday at our couple small group, and one of the ladies in the group shared the story again of her dad. She gave me permission to share it with you. I think you'll be amazed. Her dad was an anti-Christian. All of her efforts to share the good news of Jesus with her dad were not only rejected, he mocked Christianity, wanted no part of it. And so this gal in my group said, all I could do is pray for my dad. And so I prayed that somehow... Through somebody, God might break in to his life. Well, sometime back, he went through a season of profound adversity. His alcoholism had led to him losing his job, losing all of his money, and losing his apartment. And he ended up homeless, living out of his car. It was at the rock bottom place of being homeless that he saw a sign that said apartment for rent with a phone number. And he knew nobody (laughs) is going to say, yeah, come and uh, rent an apartment in my situation. But he thought it doesn't hurt to call. So he called, and this landlady who owned the apartment got the phone call, asked questions, discovered that he's an alcoholic, that he's penniless, that he doesn't have a job. Uh, But here's the deal. She... Was an alcoholic herself previously. That is, until she discovered Jesus Christ and he transformed her life. And so as a follower of Christ, she prayed. Dangerous thing. God, what do you want me to do in this situation? And unmistakably she sensed God's spirit saying, Let him have the place. <laughs> She's like, that's like the worst business decision imaginable. He has no chance of paying me. And but I'll do it. And so she says to the man, "Uh, the apartment is yours. He was blown away. I mean, he's like, oh, uh, thank you. And she said, but here's the deal. I I want to invite you to my church. Well, he was so moved by her grace that he said, yeah, whatever. I'll I'll come to your church. He came. He found out they had a Celebrate Recovery ministry, just like we do, helping people past addiction. He joined that. Not only did he trust Jesus in a matter of weeks, Not only did he find freedom through Christ, uh, past his addictions, he also decided to get baptized and proclaim his new faith. And then two months after his baptism, he dropped dead. His uh, body had been so broken down by substance abuse over the years, it wasn't expected, but he just died. And this gal in our group cannot express her gratitude to that landlady, who saw an opportunity, a guy who was down on his luck, whose life was as low as it can go. And rather than running, she said, Lord, are you calling me to step into this? And she did. And with months left in his life, he found eternal life in Christ. Folks, do you look for people in adversity? And do you say, God, should I go visit them? Should I pray for them? Should I see if I can help them? if you do, you will be used by God to profoundly impact human lives, maybe for eternity. It's a great opportunity, and the Apostle Paul knew it. Reading on. As I continue to read now, I do want to point out that I'm not going to show you the verse on the screen, rather a map, because we're shifting into a section that reads again like a shipping log. And so as I read the scripture, following along on the map may be helpful. Verse 10, they, the the islanders on Malta, they honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to set sail, they furnished us with the supplies that we needed. After three months, so they wintered On Malta. So it's spring now, ready for shipping again. After three months, we put out to sea in a ship that had wintered on the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put in at Syracuse and we stayed there for three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium, which is on the toe of the peninsula of Italy. And the next day, the south wind came up, and so on the following day, we reached Putilioli. There we found some brothers and some sisters, other Christians already on Italy, some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so eventually we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters in Rome had heard that we were coming and they traveled as far as the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns in order to meet us. The the Forum of Appius and the Three Taverns are suburbs of Rome. They're little towns outside of Rome, The Christians, knowing that Paul, though a prisoner, they wanted to give him a hero's welcome, so they went to these little suburbs with other Christians to celebrate his arrival. At the sight of these Christians, Paul thanked God and was so encouraged. Verse 16. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. All right, so... This is a unique form of imprisonment. Paul was blessed with a favorable jail cell, if you will. Scholars speculate as to why Paul was given. What it is, is it's a house that the Roman government rented, and then they put Paul on house arrest in that with a guard on him. Maybe it was because they were out of jail cells. Maybe it was because Paul was a Roman citizen and was honored because of that. Maybe it was because they didn't view Paul as an escape threat. For whatever reason, they decided we're going to rent a little house and we're going to give Paul a guard to keep an eye on him. And I'll tell you a little more of what that looked like. Paul later in this same chapter says that he was in chains. And the kind of chains that they used back then on house arrest was like this they would uh, put one end of the chain around the wrist of the prisoner and they would put one uh, end of the chain around the guard. And so he was literally chained to his guard. And as the guards rotated on eight-hour shifts, they'd take the chain off the guard who was done and put it on the new guard. And Paul was just always chained to a Roman guard, one of the Caesar, uh, the emperor's guards. Paul was okay with this arrangement. Let me tell you why. His passion was to be able to find non-believers to share Jesus with. And he's like, oh, this will work. You know, Paul's like, might the Lord bless me with somebody who I can tell about Christ? And Paul's like, fantastic, they're chaining them to me. They can't even get away if they wanted to, you know? Paul, think about it. Is Paul being chained to the guard or is the guard being chained to Paul? You know what I mean? And it worked. Paul took advantage of this opportunity, very much so. Uh, In fact, what we find in the book of Philippians, I won't read it to you, but in that book there are clues. Paul wrote Philippians while in prison, house arrest in Rome. And he said, Because of my chains, the news about Jesus has spread through the entire imperial guard. Meaning all these guards who go through being you know, chained to me, they're all hearing about Jesus. Not only that, they're probably spreading, hey, if you get locked up to Paul, you're going to hear about his Jesus because it's all he talks about, you know. And uh, everybody in the Roman guard heard about Jesus. And Philippians goes on to indicate that some had already trusted Christ as a result. And so Paul's ministry, his evangelistic ministry to those he was chained to It worked. Not only do we know through the scriptures that it worked, we know through archaeology that it worked. Let me tell you, I went to Rome with my wife, and we went through a museum on what was Palatine Hill, the place where the capital was, where the emperor had his palace and estate. Well, they excavated a guard dormitory where the royal guards slept. And it goes back to the first or second century, so probably back to the days of the Apostle Paul. And as they excavated the dorm uh, guard dormitory, look, here's what they found. This is an inscription in the plaster wall of this ancient dormitory. And it's difficult to read here, so it's been replicated here so we can see it a little better. It's called the Alexamenos Graffiti. And the reason it's called Alexamenos is because his name is here. It's mockery. Some guard wrote about another guard, Alexamenos worships his god. This is Alexamenos, he's raising his hand in worship. And as a mockery, they have his god Jesus on a cross, and to mock him they have a donkey's head. And we're appalled by the mockery of Christ. This is actually the oldest representation of the cross of Christ in all the archaeological world. We're appalled, but we're also inspired. Because back in the first century, there was a guard of the emperor named Aleximenos who had become a Jesus follower and loved him so much that he went public, even if it meant being mocked by his peers and either alexamenos himself was a convert by paul's witness or alexamenos knew guards who had converted by paul and his conversion was as the result so directly or indirectly alexamenos and his love for jesus is evidence that paul being chained to guards worked let's go to the next slide so this ministry to the guards what should we call that opportunity? <laughs> I'm going to call it proximity. When they chain people to you, they are in your proximity. And folks, proximity is an opportunity for us to take advantage of as well. Who is chained to you? Everybody's got people that they're forced to share life with. You may not want to, but you have to, and that's an opportunity. Look, who 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 are we? chained to. We're chained to our family. We're chained to our neighbors. Maybe you're like, I can't stand my neighbors. I hope they move away. Whoa, 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 whoa. You are chained to them by God for a reason. Take advantage of that opportunity. Maybe your co-workers, you're like, I can't stand my co-workers every day. I got to do my eight hours with them. Yeah, it's hard, but it's an opportunity proximity is such a profound opportunity because the people can watch you live. Not only do they hear what you say, they see how you live because they're so close to you. Think of these guards. They're looking at Paul, going, dude, what's up with you? You are like so happy, you know, every day. You're, you're in house arrest. You're a prisoner, and yet you're all bushy-eyed, and uh, you know, you're just filled with a joy and a bounce in your step, and you're you know, passionate about Jesus, 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 Jesus. And, and, and eventually they watched this uh, amazing perpetual passion in this man and they heard what he said and they came to believe. Folks, people need to see the beauty Jesus has brought to your life. Is your life all beautiful? No. But there better be some beauty that wouldn't be there if it wasn't for Jesus because that's the business he's in. And when they see that change he's made, it can be powerful. So who are you chained to? You know, my daughter in a couple months is going to go to college, and it's bringing me back to when I went to college for the first time. I was chained to a guy that I didn't want to be chained to, and he didn't want to be chained to me. We were roommates. You know, our college picked us to room together our freshman year. And I, 10 minutes into my conversation with him, I'm, I'm like, meet him in the dorm room. His name is Steve. 10 minutes in, I'm like, this is a bad pairing. You know, I don't want a room with you. You don't want a room with me. We were so different. Our background's so different. Steve was a missionary kid from Brazil, grew up in the uh, Amazon jungle in a grass hut, abject poverty, all right? I'm a rich kid wearing flashy clothes and driving a fancy sports car, all right? He's like, oh boy. Spiritually, we're on opposite ends of the spectrum. He was in love with Jesus Christ, had already passionately devoted his whole life to the service of Christ. At that time, I, though technically a Christian, I didn't love Jesus at all. I was all about me and my success and my pursuit of the American dream. I had no interest in the cause of Christ at all. And I'm, I'm looking at Steve going, oh boy, I got this Jesus freak missionary kid as a roommate. And he's looking at me going, I, I thought Wheaton was a Christian college. How did he get in, you know? And, but Steve said, all right, well, if I got to be chained to this guy for a year, I'm going to pray we make the best of it. And Steve just said, I'm going to live boldly in front of this guy. I'm going I'm to just pursue God as I always do through Bible study and prayer right in front of him. I'm going to talk openly about my enthusiasm for Christ. And he did. And Steve hoped that as I observed his life and heard his words, I would be marked by his example and I was. God used a number of factors my freshman year, but one of the prominent factors was this guy I was chained to for nine months. And Steve, not only did he become a great friend, he was the best man in my wedding, and he was a key person in me falling in love with Jesus Christ. And I thank God that he saw proximity as an opportunity and made the most of it. I hope you do too. Well, what's opportunity number three? Let's take a look. Verse 17. Three days later, let me clarify, that three days is three days after Paul arrived in Rome. Three days later, Paul called together the local Jewish leaders. Let me just pause. The local Jewish leaders. Uh, Paul is a Jewish leader. He's calling his peeps, all right? He's one of them. He went to seminary. The school of Gamaliel was the school Paul studied Bible under. Paul became one of the top Jewish leaders, and he found out that in Rome, there were other top Jewish leaders. And so Paul was like uh Guard I'm, I'm chained to. Can I go visit them? Uh, no, you're on house arrest. You have to stay here. Can I invite them to visit me? Sure. So Paul called together the local Jewish leaders. I'm going to call this affinity. Affinity is another uh, opportunity. That is when we reach out to people who are like us. And in the case of Paul, he said, I bet these peers of mine would come. Look how Paul continues to read. He says, when they assembled, Paul said to them, my brothers. Do you see the affinity in that reference? My brothers. Although I have done nothing against our people, he says, or against the customs of our ancestors. Even then, I was arrested. And he explains what happened. Paul's brilliant. Paul realizes that affinity is a great way to connect with people. They'll respond often to your invitation because they share so much in common with you. And they will be open to your thoughts because they share so much in common with you. In fact, look what they said in verse 22. These Jewish leaders came and it says, they said, We want to hear your view, what your views are, Paul, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect sect being Christianity. Since they wanted to hear more, they scheduled a meeting. Verse 23, they arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and they came in even larger numbers this time to the place where Paul was staying. Paul witnessed to them from morning till evening explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and the prophets he tried to persuade them about Jesus and some of them were convinced by what he said. Most of them were not convinced, but some of them were. So Paul's strategy of reaching out to those he had the most affinity with was brilliant and effective. Folks, do you do the same thing? Who do you have affinity with? You're not a rabbi like Paul, but don't think all high and holy like that. An affinity can be golf. You know, to say, hey, I'm going to get a foursome of golf and we're going to share life, and that may be an opportunity to start a conversation and impact them. Maybe it's mothers of preschoolers or dads of kids in wrestling or maybe it's those who like frisbee golf or those who collect antiques or those who read books or, you know, it can be so many things. Have you thought about what affinity groups you could connect with because that 's a great opportunity Colossians four make the most of every opportunity and Paul saw one, I bumped into a lady this week who saw the power of affinity. I was visiting a church, and I love walking around church buildings whenever i 'm at a church and this one was very unique church building it had a room that had a fireplace in it. I was looking through the glass window at this fireplace in this antique bookshelves. It was so cool. I go, I got to check this out. So I opened the door. It was unlocked. I stepped in. Only then did I realize it was not empty. There was a lady in there who came up to me right away. She was bald with a bandana tied over her head. And she said to me, are you here for the cancer support group? and I'm like ah uh, no sorry I didn't I just saw fire isn't that cool and she's like it's a cool room I'm like yeah no cancer support sorry didn't mean to interrupt and as I was backing out members of this group were coming in and she was clearly the leader cuz she greeted each of them with a big hug and they had bibles and they were going to do bible study and prayer and I looked at this lady and I thought she gets it she's got cancer perfect excuse to say the storm is raging, I need to sit out. And she says, no, I need to get in the game. In fact, she says, I see this affinity moment. People with cancer understand each other. They're drawn to each other. So she started this group where Christians or non-Christians, just as long as you had cancer, could come together. And you can imagine she's using affinity to make a huge impact. The Apostle Paul, he's like, life is hard. But I want in the game. What Colossians 4, make the most of every opportunity. Adversity, when I see people hurting, that's an opportunity. Paul knew it, and he went to visit those who were hurting. Proximity, when they chain people to you, that's an opportunity. Use it. And affinity, if you can find ways to invite over or get together with those who have similar interests to you, Paul was always diving in courageously and as a result, making a big splash in this world for eternity. Let me close by reading the last two verses of the book of Acts. It's been a dramatic book and many are disappointed with how it ends. I wonder if you are. Verse 30. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, that's in house arrest, and he welcomed all who would come to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God, and he taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. there it ends. Here's why people are upset with this ending. They're like, what about his trial before Caesar? I mean, that's why he was going. What happened then? We don't know. What about his death? We hear through church tradition that Paul was executed for his faith. How come that's not there? What about the other apostles? What happened to them? What happened about the cause of Christ widely? You know, just ends. Very frustrating to many. And yet you can call it a bad ending, and I bet Luke's okay. Luke's the author of Acts. I bet he's okay with you calling it a bad ending. You know why? Because it's not an ending. His point was that the story isn't over. The cause of Christ and God's great drama continues to roll to this very day. The, Paul real, or Luke, excuse me, Luke realized, well, I just got to cut it off somewhere. The great apostle Paul arriving at Rome, the capital of the empire, seems as good a place as any. I'm just going to end it. And it'll be really clear to everybody that the great story of Jesus continues. And I wonder how the story is continuing in your life. This verse tells us a couple things about how the story should look. First of all, this is not all happy stuff. When it says two years, two whole years, Paul stayed in this rented house, what does that mean? That means that for two years, Paul was in house arrest, chained to people, waiting his day in court, and the system was bogged down. And for two years, he didn't appear before Caesar. I mean, that's prolonged suffering. The storms continued in Paul's story, and the storms will continue in your story. But what else does the verse tell us? Though the storms continued, Paul fought on boldly, courageously preaching and proclaiming with anyone who would accept his invitation to come to his home. He continued to fight for the advance of the cause of Christ. May we live stories of, yes, storms, but may we live stories of courageous fighting in every opportunity God brings our way, even in the midst of the storm. And may the Compass Church be a group of people who are not passively sitting on the bench, but are out there in the snowstorm saying, I love Jesus and I'm living for him. I may have a limp, but I fight on. If we live that way, the Lord will continue to use us in greater ways than we ever imagined to advance his cause in the hearts of this community we've been called to. Let me pray towards that end. Lord, forgive us how many thousands, millions of opportunities have we walked right past. I don't even want to know. I have a tendency to miss them. I want to be like Paul. My friends want to be like Paul. We want to spot those opportunities and have the courage to step into them rather than backing away. And so God, even in our pain, call us, nudge us, And we give you our lives. Jesus, you died to save our souls. And so we say we are yours. We're all yours. Take us, nudge us, push us if need be, but use us to touch the lives of people, to love people, pray for people, share the good news with people so that our lives can be in your hands and advance your cause. That's our cry, both today and forever in this church. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.